0: sick of sorrow, sick of the pain, sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Now, some well-meaning but mistaken critics have heard those words and thought that to be an agnostic declaration, a skeptical, bitter sort of expression of abandonment and where are you, that, that sort of thing. That's not it at all. Wiser ears, More discerning hearts recognize within those words echoes of Ecclesiastes. This idea that on the one hand we were made by God for God, and yet at the same time living on this in this broken sinful world, and that therein creating this tension and and longing, a restless spirit. You may not be a YouTube fan, and that's okay. But that is your heart's condition. A longing for peace. A longing for more. More than this world offers. If you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, this is a series within a series within a series. Uh, we are in the Beatitudes. Which is in the Sermon on the Mount, which is in the Gospel of Matthew. And that's where we are right now. Uh, we are in Matthew five, so if you're trying to find the Gospel of Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We are in Matthew chapter five. I'm going to read the whole of the Beatitudes, verses one through twelve. We are honing in this morning on verse nine. Matthew chapter five, verses one through twelve. Hear now the word of God. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you pray with me? Lord, it is very evident and very clear. We were not made for nothing. We didn't come out of nothing. We are created beings, created by and for our Creator for a relationship with Him. And things go well in that context as they were meant to. Ah, but we do live in a fallen, broken world. We know much of that cry from the author of Ecclesiastes. Um, vanity, vanity. Oh, that, that Meaninglessness, that sense of longing in and, and tension and restlessness, we long for peace, whether or not we can articulate it or not, whether we know it or not, that is, what's going on there. And we, we ask that you'd help us understand something of what that means, the implications of that for a relationship with you and a relationship with one another. Help us understand what you are saying here in this beatitude regarding peacemakers and being called sons of God. We need to know this, and we pray that you would be our teacher now in these minutes ahead. Amen. Well, I don't have to tell you, you know this, but the presidential campaign for 2016 is well, well underway. Much to your chagrin, perhaps, but oh well, it is. And uh, so that, of course, means we've got a few debates behind us, a few more ahead of us. That's all driving towards the primaries, where the different parties are trying to discern who they're going to nominate to then be their, their candidates. And let's just assume for a minute that you can put aside uh, your our blind biases as to who the right man or woman for the job is. It isn't easy, especially with a big, big field, right, this year, to try and discern, you know, who has the temperament? Who has the hair? Who has... The uh, the gift mix who has the training who has the experience who's got the track record that is best suited uh, for this this job it's it's not all that easy it can be kind of confusing it can make it it's somewhat unclear but here's the beauty of it when it comes to the most essential things Matthew is laying before us here some things that are very clear very clear. Indeed, he is not speaking here of a political leader that we thrust forward by ballot to serve a limited term of office. He is speaking here of the Creator, Sustainer, and Savior of all things. Who is speaking here? Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the alpha and the omega the one who is who was and who is to come that's who's speaking in Matthew chapter 5 and what is he speaking of what is he telling us about just in these beatitudes what it is to be blessed that is not to say what it is to have a good life to to be happy To be carefree. That's not what he's speaking of at all. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. He's speaking here rather of of those who should most be admired, most be looked up to, most be envied and imitated, and whose lives should be emulated. He's speaking here of, of the distinguishing marks of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, the one who is speaking here in these verses. But another way Jesus is showing us the path for our lives an essential part of which has to do with peace. Given who is speaking, given what he is speaking of, what should our response be as we hear him speaking on these things? It should be to hear, to heed, to pursue these things wherever it takes us, whatever it entails. What would that look like? What would that mean? Well, I'm going to, again, go with the same three questions that we've been looking at over these, uh, these weeks in this series, within a series, within a series. First, who? Who is Jesus speaking of here? Second, why? Why are they described this way? Why are they said to be blessed? And thirdly, how? How? If these things be true, or put it this way, since those things be true, how, how can they be true of us? Who, why, how? Let's look at these in turn. First, who is Jesus speaking of here? Who who are these people? Verse 9, again, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We need to think about this. They are peacemakers. What kinds of peace is it that they're to make? There are some false notions as to what this peace entails. Please understand, this is not a Neville Chamberlain-style Prime Minister of Britain back pre-World War II and then in the early days of World War II. This is not appeasement. This is not peace at any price. That's not what we're talking about here. Nor are we talking about just the absence of conflict. That's not what we're talking about here either. We're talking about Jesus is tapping into the, the old Hebrew word shalom. A word that is rich in its, its depth of connotations of, 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 of a rightness, of a wholeness, of a, of a fittedness to life. A, a word that its, its breadth goes into speaking of, of well-being and safety and security and, and life's Flourishing, peace, shalom, the way things are meant to be. That's the kind of peace that is being spoken of here. Well, okay, well then how, if that's the peace that they are to make, how are they to make it? What's well, interesting in the ancient world, a peacemaker was actually in some cultures a political position. This was an individual who was understood to, to lead the charge, if you would, in, in ending wars. in in providing for safety and security and stability and justice in a culture, in a society. Jesus is saying His followers are to be peacemakers, shalom bringers. How? Two ways in particular. One, in the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. The proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom, which in, in essence is this. The king has come. He is coming again. And this fallen, broken world order that we are so accustomed to living in is coming to an end. It's already begun. And one day it will be finished. That's the good news. That's the gospel of the kingdom. That's the first thing. The work of a peacemaker is the proclamation of that Message, But the second thing is the application of that message to our relationships, especially when they're broken. A willingness to come alongside and give advice. A willingness to get involved and assist. A, a, a willingness to be an instrument in His hands. A willingness to be an ambassador of peace, of shalom. In that sense of bringing peace both between God and man in the proclamation of the gospel and bringing peace between men, and ladies, that's a gender-inclusive term, please understand, between men in the application of the gospel. Who then, who then is Jesus speaking of here? The peacemakers, those through whom He is working to bring shalom into this world. And as if, with every one of these beatitudes, Jesus is the example. Jesus is the model. Jesus is the only one who does this perfectly. Uh, turn with me to the prophet Isaiah. The, the prophets spoke with longing, waiting, waiting for the arrival of this one to come. Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, verse 7. If you're trying to find Isaiah, find the Psalms and head a few books to the right. That's my general directions I'll give you. uh, To the Psalms and then a few books to the right. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Isaiah writes, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion... Your God reigns. That's ultimately speaking of Christ. Then flipping back several chapters to Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, a text that we oftentimes and rightfully do read during the Advent season. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, what? Prince of... Peace. And keep reading. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What Jesus is saying here to us is that peacemaking is a vital, essential part of what it is to follow him. It is not an option. It is a vital, essential component of a. It's a piece of a larger whole of what it is to follow Him. What that means is, is that we, if, if we are His, indeed His followers, we will never, ever delight in division wherever we find it, division or bitterness, um, slight or scorn or whatever it, the, the form of this may, may take. But, and rather, we would mourn. We would mourn it wherever we find it. Because that's not the way. You know, shalom is the way things are meant to be. That is not the way things are meant to be. That disharmony. Uh, in fact, I would go, so, uh, go a little further and say it, it's not just that we would refuse to contribute to the fouling of the water. It's not just that, that passive sense that, well, I'm not going to make it worse. But rather, no, he's saying peace making, meaning we move forward, we move into the storm, we move into the swamp, we move wherever the mess is to bring peace. So There's not just a passive thing, it's an active thing. And again, both in that, that sense of the proclamation of the gospel, bringing peace between God and man. And then also that application of the gospel, that relational component, the, the, the horizontal component of bringing peace between men. Jesus is showing us the way, the path which entails peace. We need to heed and pursue this. It takes us to the second question. So, who are they? Who is Jesus speaking of here? The second one being, why are they described this way? Why are they said to be blessed? Again, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They are blessed. They are held up in this way because they are going to be called, named, understood to be sons of God. And again, ladies, please understand, Greek scholars will tell you, anyone worth their salt, this is a gender-inclusive term. So really it could be translated sons and daughters of, of God. Okay. So with that in mind... What is this about? Again, it's worth wrestling with. It's, it's, it's much better than we think. It's not as we might expect what, what this entails. In, in, the ancient, in the ancient Jewish context, to, to speak of the sons of God, for Jesus' original hearers, they're likely going to be thinking he's referring to Israelites because that's oftentimes what the, that term meant in the Old Testament, just a referral to the Israelites, to the people of well, Jesus is clearly expanding the boundaries here, which is clearly going to be somewhat troubling to his original audience there in a first-century context. And by the way, if there are any zealots listening in—that is to say, those political revolutionaries who were resisting the Roman occupying army—well, they're just not. They're not just going to be troubled. They're just going to scorn and reject this outright. This is much better, much better than Jewish, ancient Jewish expectations. And by the way, it's also much better than our own modern expectations as well. Because we hear this, and we, put, we, we hear it through a, through a filter, through a, we see it through a grid. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And the way we hear this, and the way we think this, because we're so works-oriented, we think what Jesus is saying is, oh, well, in the extent to which I do this, he'll love me. The extent to which I am a peacemaker, I then have peace with God. And that's not what he's saying here at all. Think with me. If our peace with God hinged on the degree to which we were peacemakers, how much peace with God do you think you would have? None. None. Not if you're honest. No, this is so, so much better for starters, Jesus is speaking, it's made clear in verses 1 and 2. Jesus is speaking to people who are already His followers. He's speaking to His disciples. He's speaking to people who are already citizens of His kingdom. And He's saying to, to know and to love God as the author of peace is a beautiful thing. Now, Paul speaks of this in Colossians chapter 1. If you want to turn there with me if you need an acronym, if you need some landmarks, General Electric Power Company, or as uh, one of our deacons taught me years ago, Gentiles eat pork chops. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. I said that and I can't seem to find it. But um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. This is speaking of Jesus. He... to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross to know and to know, to know and to love god as the author of peace is a, is a beautiful thing and it's even more it's to be called his children i was thinking about this this morning i'm going a little off my notes here because i i haven't i want to drill into this a little more but who Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. By whom? By whom will they be called children of God? I'm going to stick my toes in the water here and make two guesses. One, by the world at large, because the, the watching world will see something distinctly different about such people who would live in such a radical way. And so, in that sense, it's, it's, it's a badge of honor. But not just by the world, but by God Himself. Now, now think about that for a minute. Our Heavenly Father, gladly calling us His sons and daughters without any hesitation. Gladly. Gladly. Calling us son, daughter, mine, mine. Beautiful thing here is is that, you know, like little children tend to do, what we're being called to do is is to do as we see him doing, to walk in his ways, to walk, to follow in, in his footsteps. As uh, John Broadus, a 19th century preacher, put it, there is no more godlike work to be done in this world than peacemaking. Whether you want to think in terms of that, that vertical or that horizontal. Why, why then are these people described in this way? Why are they said to be blessed? Because they're called sons of God, sons and daughters of, of God. Or if you want to think of it this way, we, to the extent we, we do this, we, we bear the family resemblance to our Heavenly Father. We look like God. I remember years and years ago, as a little kid, I was at a, at a birthday party, and um, I was waiting for my dad to, to show up and pick, and pick me up, and uh, you know the, the, the affair has kind of come to an end, and, and some other kids have been picked up, and I'm kind of like... Mm. I'm not the last one, but I'm wondering when is he is he coming? Because you know, the the cake's been put away, so I'm really I'm I'm out of there. So I'm checked out as far as my interest in staying and and uh, and the party favors weren't that great as I recall. But anyway, so I'm waiting and I hear and I hear my dad's voice in the other room and I hear this conversation taking place, and I can see the the mother of the guest of honor and my dad coming in the room and then the the mother saying to to my, my dad, Oh I see it now. Of course you're Richard's father. I see. Well, you see, you gotta understand. My dad's a good-looking guy, so that's how she. Anyway, um, but Jesus is saying, my mark, my mark, the mark of being mine is being a peacemaker. That's how you look like me. The mark of being my own is a commitment to this. But I would also add that 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 it, it, it's what makes it possible. Being his own is what makes it possible. They ask, how? Well, because in that you have a security and a stability of your standing with him that emboldens you, that, that empowers you, that, that energizes you. That, that, well, let's put it this way. Just in the relational plane, relational peacemaking, getting involved, getting engaged, it empowers you, knowing who's and who you are empowers you to boldly confront when and how necessary the sin in another person's life. It also enables you to humbly go yourself and confess that sin and repent of it and ask for forgiveness. Why? Why? Those are crazy things, right? To go and confront somebody or to go and confess something, right? That's crazy. I'm not doing that. You can if you're a follower of Christ because you know it's settled. It doesn't matter what others think of you. The most important thing is, what does God think of you? And that's, that's done. That's taken care of. So you can go and confront or go and confess. Whatever it is that's needed. He's showing us the way here. Oh, that we would heed and pursue this. Lastly, how, these things being true, how can they be true of us? Uh, these things being true, how then can they be true of us? I want to point out three things. Three, I don't know, points, sub-points, observations, you call them what you want. It, 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 at each one, I want to say something about this peace with God, and yet also peace between God and man, and then peace between men. At each one of these, with each one of these. So first, seeing the need as Jesus does. Seeing the need as Jesus does that, that every man, woman, and child has To have peace with God. To see that need. To understand that that's what they've been made for. And there are eternal stakes involved. So to see the need. Also, to see the need in terms of the need for peace between us. On the horizontal plane as well. Especially, especially if we are professing Christians. Especially if we are followers of Him. Because He tells us so plainly. That there's so much at stake when it comes to the way we do and do not love one another is the basis upon which the world will assess whether or not the gospel is even true. So, seeing the need for peace with God. Seeing the need for peace with others. Seeing the need and counting the cost. Again, just as Jesus did. Seeing the need and counting the cost for peace with God. That others would have peace with God. Being, being willing to be burdened for the souls of others. To actually care about that. To be burdened for their eternal future. To be willing to take the initiative in conversation to go maybe a little past the weather and sports center. To break the mold. Because there's more in play. To count the cost that others would have peace with God, to count the cost that others would have no peace between, between one another, because you know, many of us are, are too lazy for that. We're not willing to do that. We're not willing to go there. We would prefer comfort than the hard work of the biblical, relational, horizontal peacemaking. There. So much so, we will let a friendship die. Instead of going there. Jesus is saying, no, my friends, you must have another vision. Another vision for relationship with one another. So seeing the need and counting the cost, and and lastly, refusing to settle. Again, as Jesus does, refuses to settle. When it comes to what it means for peace, others would have peace with God, that we will not cut corners. We will speak of the need for both faith and repentance. And to our postmodern friends that we love, we will say that Jesus is the only hope and not one among many. When it comes to peace with one another, again, not being willing to cut corners, not willing to just, just to, to, to take it easy, uh, but to be willing to, to, to risk being misunderstood, being willing to listen, willing to sympathize, to empathize. How can these things be true of us? What Jesus is speaking of here. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God to see the need, to count the cost, and to refuse to settle. And by the way, there's something fundamental to all of those three, without which they will crumble and they cannot stand. And that is we have to be made new. We have to be made new because we have to be able to see Ourselves to see one another, to see these all these situations that I'm unpacking before you, to see all this in a a completely new way. In I might say, an unearthly way. Um, Peacemaking is demanded of Christ's followers. It is also only possible for His followers. So then to do that, we have to do something that I've been alluding to over the last several weeks, and that is we've got to trace back through the Beatitudes. Because, see, the only way we're going to have a heart for peacemaking, whether it's the vertical or the horizontal, the heart for making the the restoring of shalom, the only way that's going to happen is to have a heart of meekness, going back to the third Beatitude. A heart that is is not... um, all about a life that is not all about grasping and clutching and getting what you can and worried about what others think about you and all, No. know. But the only way you can be a, have a, a heart of meekness, you've got to go, you gotta go one up to the Beatitudes, is to have a heart that's mourning your sin, that's broken over it. Well, the only way you can do that, got to trace up again, is to be poor in spirit, to recognize your spiritual poverty. So we've got to trace back through the Beatitudes in order to have this new heart. This new heart's under, understanding. Again, Jesus is showing us the way here. Oh, that we would heed and pursue it. Let me let me end on this. Um, and it's a long ending, but uh, hang on. Um, I want to come back and, and, and press on something I said a moment ago. It, it's something of a bold statement, but I'm, I'm gonna I, I want to say it again because it has to be said. Peacemaking is demanded of Christ's followers. And it is ultimately only possible for his followers. It is both demanded of his followers and is ultimately only possible for his followers. Now, the world's view is completely different. The world would tell you, do a survey, go ahead, this is what you're going to find out. Some of you may be thinking this right now. So bear with me. The world's perspective is this, it doesn't matter what you agree on, as long as you agree on something. It doesn't matter what you're unified on as long as you're unified on something. I want to be as clear and as kind as I can be in assessing that. That is woefully naive. It matters a lot what you're unified over. Oh, does it matter a lot? Let me tell you the story of Laura Waters Henson. Laura Waters Henson. Coming out of college, she's engaged to her sweetheart. Everything's set. The the wedding date's set. Everything's bought. All the reservations. Yep, got it. Her fiancé gets cold feet. Backs out. Financially, this is a disaster. Now she, she ends up selling her dress on eBay. She has to reimburse the bridesmaids for all the dresses you got all kinds of deposits being lost, and her heart is broken. And not knowing what else to do, just at a loss at this stage in her life, she just says, well, I'm going to go to film school. So that's what she does, graduate film school. So she goes off and goes through that program. By the time she's done with that program, part of her master's thesis is to make a film. And she's like, I don't know what I'm going to make. So, And about this time, her church is taking an overseas trip to Rwanda, and her pastor talks her into going. So she goes, and they're going to learn some about the genocide there and about the culture. Now, this is 1995. Uh, Excuse me, this is 2005. This is 2005, about ten years after the genocide. Now, let me remind you about what that was. Mid-90s, 95, 96, this time frame where you have the Rwandan Hutus attacking, slaughtering the Rwandan Tutsis, neighbor upon neighbor, Machete upon flesh. It is a brutal, nasty thing to read about. I wouldn't recommend reading accounts of it before you go to bed at night. Some 800,000 people died. Almost one out of eight of the Rwandan population perished in the midst of that, really, a genocide. Ten years later, Law Waters Henson is there. She's filming interviews, sitting down with people, hearing these gut-wrenching accounts of confession and these soul-stirring grantings of forgiveness. And those who were there, who know anything about what they're talking about, who know anything about what was going on, will tell you that the reconciliation that has taken place and is still taking place amidst the Rwandan people is only possible because of the gospel of Christ. It is a fan, phenomenal thing. It is a miracle. It is a modern-day, cultural-wide miracle. So, Laura Waters Henson, she films all of this. She ends up winning the Best Student Documentary Oscar for her work, As We Forgive. But that's not the end of the story. While she's going through the editing process, some months into this, she gets a phone call from her ex fiance He wants to know if she's married yet. She's not. This is what he says on the phone. I still love you and want to visit you. Can I? She says yes. They get reacquainted. He eventually reproposes, gives her space. And with time, because of the Lord's work in her heart, she accepts. Three months later, they're married. Why am I telling you this? To simply make this point of how the gospel can work At both a cultural level and a personal level. Which of course is where the cultural level begins, right? At a personal level. For real unity between us, there must be something happening transformative within us. And Jesus is the only one who can make that happen. So does it matter what holds us together? Oh, yes it does. Because if you want real reconciliation, if you want real peace, if you want Shalom, if you want some glimmer of a recovery of the way things are meant to be, you need the gospel. Do you pray with me? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Oh Lord, you made us for Shalom with you and with each other. Oh indeed, we were made for this, but we do indeed live in a deeply broken world, and we are deeply broken within. And we ask that you would make us what you call us to be, peacemakers. Oh, would you embolden us and encourage us and empower us to be those who preach this message and who also press it into every area of our lives. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Ask our ushers if you would now walk us through this time of responding to the gospel with the giving of these tithes and these offerings. Let me read to you as they are getting set as words from Proverbs 30. You may be interested in knowing this is the only prayer that you find in the book of Proverbs. And there are two requests remove, give. Remove, far from me, falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my God. Let's give with that in mind.